This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. From nj.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Rant. Uh, this is obviously not Steve Politi. He is at a beach at an undisclosed location as far away as possible from us. Uh, it's just uh, Fonseca here with Pat Lanny. It's been a week since we went to Big Ten Media Days. Uh, some thoughts are still fresh in our head, and so is the feeling of that very strong shrimp cocktail we had, Pat. Yeah, cocktail sauce is is one of a kind. Apparently, it's an enzyme from the horseradish that really burns out your sinuses. So it's actually great because I went there with a little bit of a cold and came back like fully revived by cocktail sauce. What's better than that? Nothing. Nothing's better than that. And I'm glad you told me. I, I had no idea that's what it caused that immense pain that I felt in the back of my brain stem. So uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you cleared that up. Uh, we yeah, I can't we got... tell you what an enzyme is. I mean, I failed every biology class at Rutgers. It's way over my head. Got to start interviewing uh, some biologists after this. Yeah, uh, we got to St. Elmo's uh, Tuesday night before Rutgers went on Wednesday. We bumped into the Rutgers contingent there. We were there first. We were seated first. We felt pretty good about that. And then we learned that they got their own nice little private room after we were sitting down. So I think they got the last laugh, but um, it was a nice preview to a big day on Wednesday, which the big news came out. Greg Shiano officially names Gavin Wimsett, the starting quarterback at Rutgers. I think we all kind of figured it was going in that direction, but I don't know about you, Pat. I was pretty surprised, Greg. I know we talked about this on the last pod, but I was pretty surprised he just came out and said it before training camp. And I think personally, it's a good move in that, we're not going to be talking about the competition for the next month or so can really just talk about what's going to happen now that he is a starter. Yeah. I thought we were trending, trending towards that direction, of course, but I was a little bit surprised that he openly announced it at, at media days. I thought it was going to be maybe a week or two into camp when, you know, you could officially say that there was a position battle and Gavin was ahead of Evan Simon that I, I, I said last week, I thought it was going to happen sooner rather than later. I'm glad that that uh, turned out to be right, but I didn't expect it to be this soon. I will say that. I agree with you. We asked Shiano, does this give a little bit of a confidence boost to Gavin, knowing that he's going to be the starter going in? And and he kind of said, yeah, and that you know every circumstance dictates itself, but the way things are going right now, he's very happy with the way that Gavin and Evan have developed in the quarterback room with Kirk Shiraka. But it seems like Gavin just has the bigger arm, the better, you know, more athleticism and and can do things that that Evan can't. 
it's his understanding of the why, as Greg Shiano put it, that uh, he has to develop this season. And really, until he gets on the field, no one will, will know how far he's come with the why. And by why, we mean like breaking down defenses and understanding the mental aspect of the game. Right. And from the sound of it in talking to Greg, they kind of were leaning in this direction after the spring. I think uh, the quote Greg had after the spring game is that we'll know pretty soon here. At, you know, he was going to have a discussion with Shiraka and the offensive staff a week after the spring game. I figure that after having those, those discussions and kind of knowing that this was the direction they were going in for a few months, they just decided to kind of rip the Band-Aid off, which, again, I think I agree with you. I think it's the right move. I think it gives Gavin a you know, a different approach to training camp where he's not really looking over his shoulder. He can really focus on improving and what it's going to take for him to play well that first game against Northwestern rather than what it's going to take to beat Evan Simon. And I also agree with you that as much progress as they may have seen from him in the spring, from him in the summer, and they seem, it seems to be legitimate improvements that they've seen out of him uh, based on what Greg Schiano said, won't really matter until what happens on September 3rd and whether that will materialize in a game. I am, I think I mentioned this last pod, cautiously optimistic. I think from some of the glimpses we saw in the spring, not really the spring game, obviously, because of the torrential downpour, uh, I I think uh, it's possible that he does make that jump. Uh, This is his first real, you know, full off season. Um, He's healthy again. And I think that uh, he has a chance to, he he could make that jump and Rutgers really needs him to make that jump if they have a, any hope of having a successful season that kind of, uh, and we can kind of touch on this too, just it seems like the first four or five weeks of the season have opened up in that Northwestern is obviously going through this this scandal that was really the talk of Big Ten Media Days. And Michigan, uh, last week, we find out as we land in Indianapolis, might not have Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines when Rutgers plays there in Ann Arbor. Uh, not to suggest that that makes Rutgers upset any more likely, but it does, you know, it opens the door a little bit for Rutgers to have more of an opportunity otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Two uh, big storylines we talked about in media days and Greg Shiano was asked the question over and over again by multiple reporters. Like, How does your preparation change for Northwestern? And he had a really good answer. I thought it was just like nothing changes, of course. <laughs> of course, he's going to say that. But he's right in the sense that uh, Northwestern is still going to do the same thing they did defensively. Right. Braun was the defensive coordinator brought in. He's not going to change anything that he was planning on doing. And obviously they're facing this turmoil. That's going to change things a little bit. But if you're going through this whole thing as a player, isn't the one thing you can do focus on football. That's so to me, that's a little bit scary if you're the Scarlet Knights, but um, just to get back to the Gavin thing real quick, we did a little bit of a dive, right? While we were sitting on the plane trying to come up with the last time there was a starting quarterback announced before training camp. Did we come up with a good answer? Was it Tom Savage in his in his sophomore year? I believe so. Uh, I, I couldn't find the clip that says, you know, he is named the starting quarterback. But I think based on what you're reading there, there was no real competition. I think it was pretty clear that he was the starter at that point. And if not Tom Savage that year, I'd have to think Mike Teal in 07, 08, that range, because in the last decade or so, uh, and there's a pretty good story from our colleague Keith Sargent from a few years ago of all the quarterback battles over the past you know two decades. Uh, it seems like this is a pretty rare occurrence of just knowing who the guy is at this point. So is that the Shiraka effect or Greg learning from his mistakes from last year? Or maybe not even mistakes, the the, the cards that he was dealt with, Noah Vedral's injury. Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, and I, I do think that last year there was a competition. I think Noah Vedro probably was the favorite to win the job had he not gotten hurt in training camp. Uh, but I do think they were giving uh, all three quarterbacks an honest shot at winning the, the job. Uh, it just seems like at this point, uh, Gavin is 
he must be far and away better than Evan Simon if he's going to be given the starting job. But that's just kind of my read on the situation. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree. I think Gavin's intangibles have always been better. And uh, developing the the mental aspect of the game is is really what it's going to take. So we'll see how that come, how that unfolds. Before we end our thoughts on Big Ten Media Day, I just had a couple of quick things. I thought I don't know what you thought about Dave Braun's you know performance on the podium in very tough situations. A guy who you know wasn't a you know Power Five coach in any capacity since, until January, and now he's in front of the entire Big Ten media answering questions about things that you know he probably wasn't very involved with. He filibustered for the first ten minutes or so, and uh, really, I mean, there's really no right way to answer a lot of these questions. I thought I felt bad for the guy. That's really my, my overall takeaway watching him on the podium. Yeah, and he announced. Uh, he also said that he was having a, a, a baby girl in three days or a child in three days and, or any day now. And I was just like, oh, my God, Can you imagine the stress of the scandal being a first time head coach and now having a child all lumped into one. Uh, that is just outrageous. Uh, <laughs> my biggest thing from media day when he was on the podium was I, I can't even remember the reporter that asked him, but basically the question was, what's it like playing in windy conditions in Chicago? And and every journalist there just put his his or her head down and was just so ashamed that that was one of the four, because he only got four questions and one of them was playing in the windy conditions of Chicago. So he the filibuster worked and you, uh, my impression was like, he did the right thing. He did all the right things. You got to give him a pass, but... I just I just almost laid over and died when that kid asked the question about the wind in Chicago. He must have breathed a massive sigh of relief when that question came because it was two more minutes he could have filled in with other. I don't even remember what he said, honestly, but it feels like he just went on and on, much like the wind, just about uh, anything other than the scandal. Uh, one of interesting, you always get these interesting questions at Media Day, right? Like it's they invite a lot of different people to this event. It's not all you know, newspaper and TV guys. Uh, like us, there there are some, I'm not quite sure what the right word is, but outlets that are not entirely professional. Uh, you could see that when Brett Bielma was the first guy on the podium, and I think the third question he gets asked is whether he's watched Barbie yet. And I thought that guy was going to ask every coach about it. I was really looking forward to hearing Greg Schiano's thoughts on the Barbie movie. I'm sure he has a very detailed review ready to go whenever someone asks, but no one did ask. Uh, we did not have time at the podium on the side to ask him either. So uh, maybe that'll be a training camp question for Greg. What, what was better, Barbie or uh, Oppenheimer? I'm sure he has strong thoughts. Yeah, uh, I, I know. It, it's a little bit of uh, this, the Super Bowl clowns show is a little bit. It's a little bit like that at Big Ten Media Days in a sense that just what I didn't see this year, though, uh, maybe it was day two and we weren't there, but uh, I didn't see any of the Cub reporters, the kids that won like the Big Ten conference contest that asked the questions because that was one of my favorite parts of last year when Jim Harbaugh just absolutely annihilated a 12 year old girl who asked him what what his goals for the season was and his answer and I guess it was uh I'm trying to count on my hand here five words maybe win the win the big 10 win a national championship so seven words and just in a the angriest voice and it was a snarl all right it was a snarl and uh, I felt so bad for the poor girl she'll never grow up to be a journalist because of that moment Probably for the best for her, to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. But well, then, you know, she does. She can't have a podcast, you know, have all this fun every week. So who knows? All the glamour we get as hosts of the Rutgers rant, uh, for sure. She'll be missing out on that. Just a couple more general Big Ten thoughts. I thought Tony Petiti, the Big Ten commissioner, it was his first time. I thought it was fine. 
I thought he was a little less dry than Kevin Warren, but really no news ever really comes out of those press conferences. So I thought he was, you know, for his first state of the conference address, I thought he was fine. And I think that much better was Aaron Lewis. Uh, I think you tweeted about this a little earlier. I thought uh, he really shined uh, on TV, at the podium, really everywhere. He w- put a mic-, mic in front of him. Great personality on him. I told him this a couple times, and I-, I meant it. I think he has a future on TV. I think we can certainly see him on a Big Ten Network panel in you know 20 years when his NFL career is when his uh, professional football career is over. I don't know. Did you feel the same way just watching Aaron Lewis kind of navigate the questions? Yeah, absolutely. Can't think of one moment that really stands out. Oh, maybe uh, he was wearing a pink pinstripe suit. And I was like, Aaron, why why the pink? He's like, oh, because Spider-Man. <laughs> I was like, wait, Spider-Man wears red and blue, not pink and blue. He's like, ah, yeah, you know, you know, it still looks the part. It still looks the part. So I was like, but there he is, uh, as I wrote in a preview, just hard to slow down on the field and hard to slow down once he gets rolling with his words. And I think that's just the the big personality and the way it spills out. I think Rutgers fans are really gonna love to hear from Aaron Lewis this year. Uh, all the time because he's honest. He has a great story to tell, which obviously we're going to get to at some point on this podcast and in training camp. And then has really just has a chance to be, if not the best player on the team, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think Aaron Lewis could be the best player on the team this year. Sure. I think he certainly has a chance of, I mean, there's a lot of great defensive ends in this league. I don't know where on the all big 10 list he could land, but he's getting preseason all big 10 buzz i could certainly see him landing you know second team all big 10 if he has a really big year uh, i think the stat that we heard at big 10 media days is that he led the league in quarterback pressures i think converting those i've said this a couple times probably converting those from pressures into hits into sacks uh, that's the next step for him um but yes he he he's already one of the better players in the league and a great movie critic too there's a great clip from the big 10 network they asked a bunch of players about their thoughts on oppenheimer and he, his love for the movie just was so obvious the way he's talking about it as a cinematic experience or masterpiece. I can't remember what word he was using, but he was like the modern day, uh, who was the really famous reviewer from Chicago, whose name I can't remember. Steve Politi? Yes, Steve Politi, exactly. That's my guy. Yes, exactly. All right, let's move on to looking ahead to training camp, which starts later this week. I guess just I'll kick it to you in generally wherever direction you want to go. Are there any position battles you're interested to see? Anything that uh, we'll write about this later in the week, but any any position you're really going to be keeping your eye on uh, during camp? Yeah, I, I'm going to stick with wide receiver. I, I We talked about it a little bit last week on the pod. So you got two transfers coming in with a lot of buzz, Nassim Brantley and Jacque Jackson, that really should be the veteran guys in the room. Um, but you also still have some really good slot options and Christian Dremel, Rashad Rochelle. So I'm really just interested to see how the entire evolution of wide receiver takes form. And then I would say the second one is there are two spots on the offensive line that need to be filled. So I'll be really looking at right tackle because that's such an important position. It's been a Holland Pierce, you know, has started at right tackle the last two seasons in a row, hasn't missed the game, 24 straight starts, but he's going to move over to left tackle. So We'll see who emerges at right tackle. I think the person that got a lot of reps in spring ball was Tyler Needham, but we'll see if that continues. So how about you? Yeah, those two were uh, the two bigger options, I would agree. I think I talked about kicker last week. That's not uh, entirely a very sexy position, but I think, you know, at a big crunch time moment, 
later in the season that Rutgers is going to face. I think people will be very interested to see who the kicker is. I think June McAdamy probably will still emerge, but I think he will be pushed by by Jay Patel. Um, and tight end, I know they brought in Sean Bowman, um, I mentioned, that, but they're going to use the position a lot. Uh, I know you talked to Johnny Lincoln at media day, and he kind of emphasized that this was his first full offseason working at the position. And I think that between having Bowman and Kanapka back, he can kind of liberate himself a bit to be more of a pass catcher than a blocker. I think that's the area he probably excels in more anyway. So uh, I'm interested to see just not who starts and who who backs up because I think there'll be a lot of rotation there, but just kind of seeing how the snaps shake out at that position, I'm interested. You mentioned the wide receivers. My next question was kind of just any players you're interested to see. Me personally, I'm very excited to see Jaquay Jackson move around in a practice. Uh, obviously, we didn't get to see him in the spring because he wasn't around, uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about just kind of how fluid of a player he is, when he how he moves. Rutgers hasn't really had a great wide receiver, uh, aside from maybe Bo Melton, since Greg Schiano has been back. I wasn't around for Leonte Carew's time at Rutgers, at least not from what I can remember. Uh, I'm wondering, I don't know if that's a fair you know, meter to measure Jaquay Jackson with, but I'm, I'm curious to see just how, how good he looks and uh, what Rutgers can get out of him. Are there any players that you're kind of keeping your eye on that you really want to see in training camp? Yeah, let's go with this. Just to just to bring the buzz even higher on Jaquay Jackson and Nassim Brantley. We'll say Jaquay Jackson is Leonte Carew. And Nassim Brantley, who's like 6'4", 6'5", is Kenny Britt. No pressure. Let's, let's set the bar as high as possible. Like they, they have to be just absolute animals for this team. Uh, you just never, but uh, that, of course I'm joking there, but the, the reality is you just never know what you're getting with these transfers. They were underlooked coming out of high school. They've gotten an legitimate NFL buzz around them. Um. So and and I think the thing that's most important about those two guys is they're here for one year to prove to people that they're NFL ready, that they can play at the next level and play at the Big Ten. And I think that motivation is a, is a huge deal. And I know I know Shiano is looking at them to kind of lead the way for some of the younger recruits that are that have talent at the position too. You know, guys like Ian Strong that came out as New York's number one recruit and Fama Ture is coming out of Irvington as a highly touted wide receiver, too. So I I, I really like them both. I, I know we were joking about the ceiling for these guys, but um, they got to step up. They have to be big time targets for Gavin Wimsett. And there's no question about it. Right. They definitely need them to be very good, better than what. The, the players that they're replacing, uh, obviously for Rutgers to have a chance at making that first bowl game, the traditional route since 2014. Uh, I know you you and I asked Greg Schiano and the players at Big Ten Media Day whether this season, what are the expectations for the season, trying to kind of trying to get to whether this is a bowl or bust kind of year. I know Johnny Langan told you that, yeah, unsolicited, you didn't ask him, but he said it's kind of bowl or bust for me. It's his last year. I'm sure Deion Jennings is feeling very similar. Greg Schiano was a bit more measured, uh, didn't really want to put specific markers down for what success would be. I guess, one, what do you, do you think of that? And two, what do you think? Do you think this is a bull or bust kind of year for it to be successful for Rutgers? Yeah, I, and any person that asks us about Rutgers, like that's the big question. Is this a bull team or not? And it's so hard. I'm going to take the Shiano route on this and go go fall upon his answer, which is always, you never know what's going to happen in week six and what circumstances are going to dictate your hand. So my gut says the the over under on their wins for the season is four. I thoroughly think they will hit that five and seven 
six and six, I think are both realistic. I just think that uh, there's more experience. The back end of Shiano's pipeline is a little bit better than it was last year. We've already seen what the defense can do. And if the offense can just get somewhat up to speed and be average, I think this will be a team that pushes for a bowl game. So I'm a little bit glass half full on this season. So I think the return of Sam Brown is huge. I know we'll talk about that, obviously. But yeah, I. what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think if everything breaks right uh, for this team, six and six is certainly possible. We'll go through at the end of training camp, kind of the schedule and break down where we think things could break. But you know, the first half of the season is really critical. Obviously, uh, they have three very winnable non-conference games. They get a break playing Northwestern in absolute shambles early on. And while the West crossovers aren't great, aside from that, Wisconsin and Iowa aren't easy, especially on the road. I think there is enough chances there that if the defense, like you said, if the defense takes another step forward, they were already pretty good last year. If the transfers work out at wide receiver, if the running back room could play as well as it looks on paper, and if the offensive line could hold on, and obviously if Gavin Wimsett could play uh, well and live up to some of his potential, I certainly think it's possible. To that end, I think a fun exercise to look at this is uh, to look at the one year that Rutgers did go to a bowl game in Shiano 2.0, the one year that they were very close to doing so the traditional route, 2021. I just wanted to do a little bit of an over-under on how certain players at certain positions did that year and whether the players in that position this year can surpass those numbers uh, because I figure that in order for Rutgers to get that extra win, they're going to have to probably do a little bit better than they were that year. So uh, we'll start off with probably the easiest one, uh, Sam Brown. Will he go over or under Isaiah Pacheco's 647 rushing yards? Uh, Over, over, and it has to be for this offense to find its identity again. I would agree. I'm not sure if he'll be the first 1,000-yard rusher uh, since Juwan Jameson in 2012. That's a pretty high mark, and I think Greg Schiano in the past has expressed that is not exactly the gold standard. And given the depth they have in that room, uh, they have you know four guys they could probably trust. I don't think he'll have enough carries, and I think they'll probably be cautious with – I know he set the Big Ten Rutgers Big Ten record with the amount of carries in that game against Indiana. I'm not sure how many 30-carry games he'll have just because they don't want to risk him – getting injured again, but I, I certainly agree. I think he will uh, surpass those 647. Gavin Wimsett, Noah Vedrill had 1,854 yards and seven touchdowns. Pretty good year. He also had seven interceptions, but we will kind of ignore that. I guess we can conclude that, but all right, let's go one by one. 1,854 yards, Gavin Wimsett this season. Assuming he stays healthy the whole time, to be clear. That's a lot. That is a lot. I'm going to say just under, and I think a big reason why is you're going to see a lot of it with his legs. Uh, so it may take a little bit away from his passing yardage. I will probably say under two. I think it's it's a very high number. Uh, it breaks down to about 150, 150 yards per game. Um, I'm not quite sure how many times he surpassed that last year, uh, but I can't imagine it was 20 times. So I'll, I'll, I'll go under, uh, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes over. Seven touchdowns, I'm going to go under. I think that's a pretty high number, especially considering how anemic Rutgers offensive uh, passing game has been over the years. What do you think? It's got to be over for, for this team to have any success. It's got to be over. He had five last year to seven interceptions. So, I mean, he could throw three or four against Wagner alone. So uh, I'm going to go over on that one. Good point about Wagner uh, and seven interceptions. He had seven last year. Uh, will he be over under seven this year? Mm, mm. <laughs> I'll go uh, over just, just like, if he had seven last year in, I think, eight games, I, I got to figure he'll... Yeah, you got to figure over, and you, you got to think that 
with a, a little bit like with more opportunity comes the opportunity for mistakes. So let's go over wide receivers. I have Jaquay Jackson Brantley listed down here. I guess we can just say whichever one of them is the number one wide receiver, maybe Chris long, maybe some other guy, uh, not sure, but uh, the numbers that Bo Melton had th- that year, 618 yards, three touchdowns. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a lot of yardage. But a I third I of think- no Vedral's numbers that year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very, very impressive. Bo Melton was had it had a great year. There's no question about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna go over. I think Jaquay Jackson could have a really big year. Uh, again, I, I haven't seen the guy play. I could totally change. We'll re- revisit this after training camp to see. If, yeah, uh, I love I love I love revisiting this after camp because I, I'm I'm curious who will emerge as the number one guy. Whether Jackson, Brantley, and even Chris Long, like you said, had is probably their top returning receiver from last year. He had 200 yards. So, and, and that amazing catch against Wagner. Right. I, I think, but just without having seen him play, I think just from what you hear and the kind of expectations on him, I think he can surpass 618 in three touchdowns. Joey Jackson, I'm saying. Motoray had four and a half sacks. Do you think anybody will match or surpass that number this season for Rutgers and its deep uh, front seven? I, I'm I'm counting on Aaron Lewis to get at least five. So yes, over. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldrich is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldrich Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldrich lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldrich.com. I will say under, only because I think there's so much depth that I think the sacks will be spread out. But I do agree that if anybody's going to have five or over, it's going to be Aaron Lewis. That's a good call. Max Melton had two interceptions over under. Man, that I think he had two last longer beam had two last year too. I'm gonna say over. The defense has been really good. Max Melton has that NFL caliber, you know, as a shutdown corner. He's he can take the ball away. I'm gonna say over. I will say over too. I think it's a low enough number that somebody can get three interceptions, right? And the big one, Rutgers, five and a half wins. Oh man. The Fonseca Sportsbook upping the ante. Basically asking if this is going to be a bowl season for the second time on this podcast. Yes. So we can make it, we can make it quick. Got instinct over under. I am so torn. (laughs) I'm so torn, but I'm going to say over. I'm saying Rutgers is bowling this year. I am a terrible better. So take that for what it's worth. I will go under. And I think every Rutgers fan listening to this should be cheering in their cars because Fate Fonseca (laughs) is very real. Um, So you're willing it into action, you, you know, it's my belief. It's my belief, but I'm just saying that I am maybe the world's worst gambler. So that's a good sign for Rutgers. Uh, if it changes your opinion at all, a listener submitted this to us over text. A betting slip out of Harris in New Orleans. The number, Rutgers over or over under four wins, not four and a half, four wins. They put three figures. I won't put the exact a dollar amount uh, to protect this person. It all made sense to me when I saw their name. Their nickname that they gave to themselves is the alcohol professor. So <laughs> must have had a few drinks before he put in that bet. Anyway, 
Uh, that's what, all we have for over-unders. Uh, we'll get into questions really quick, but before we do, uh, just a quick hoops update. Jeremiah Williams, Iowa State transfer, uh, he committed to Rutgers last week. Uh, kind of was trending in that direction for the past month or so when since Rutgers uh, first reached out at the end of June. Good pickup. I think it's pretty likely that he will not play at all this upcoming season. It's his second time transferring as an undergraduate, um, so he'll need a waiver. It seems unlikely he'll get it from the NCAA, and he's still kind of working back from the Achilles injury he suffered that kept him out last year. Uh, but it's a good stash. It's it's kind of like when NBA teams draft a European player and keep him stashed in Real Madrid or whatever have you. Rutgers will have him stashed, have him practice, uh, have him around the team, have, have him get used to uh, Steve Peichel's and his team's you know approach, how they practice, how they play. He's a great defender uh, from what I understand. So that could be a very lengthy defender. That could be something that Rutgers can benefit from in 24-25. Right now, it seems unlikely he'll play this fall, but it's a good pickup. And this week, there should be more developments they were hoping to get close out the roster. They have two more open scholarships by the time they go to Europe and Africa in two weeks. So I would reckon that in the next two weeks, they'll fill those last two spots with, uh, as we mentioned, the last pod, two guys more likely to do so is Oscar, Oscar Palmquist, who was back in the transfer portal and the Austin Williams and FIU transfer who started at scene hall prep back in 2017. So um, that's your hoops update. Like, I know you talked to Jeremiah Williams. what do you like the most from your conversation? I've, I've chatted with him on and off for the past month during the process. Uh, I think he really likes uh, what he's hearing from Steve Peichel. He said that he talked to, much like Rutgers talked to a lot of people about Jeremiah to vouch for him, and I've heard they had very good feedback from that, uh, which is why they feel very comfortable taking him. Uh, I have also heard that from Jeremiah, he asked around a lot of people about Steve Peichel, and he heard about from everyone essentially that he's a genuine guy who takes care of his players, a really good players coach. Uh, and he got that feeling from him when he was on his visit last week and talking to him and being around the program. So I think both sides feel really good about each other. And I think th that the next step is kind of getting him back on the court. Uh, he shared a video of him working out over the weekend. I think he'll be at a full go, you know, roughly in a couple months. And I think that'll allow him to kind of make that transition pretty smoothly on the court. Yeah, I was going to say, all you got to do is look at the video after the NIT, him and Paul Mulcahy in tears to find out what kind of what this program means to Paykel what kind of coach he is. I think that's uh, very much on that line. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're heading into some questions. Thank you all who submitted questions. We got a, a decent amount. Um, so thank you as always. Uh, we'll start off with the obvious topic. I think, you know, where we're going, Gavin Wimsett. Wait, 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 wait. You can't just jump in. You got to ask, all right, do you want to jump into the questions? That's uh, if you're going to take Politi's role, you got to do it right. Come on. Start completely over. botched it. Completely botched it. Thank you for catching that, Pat. All yeah. right, we're starting over. Are you ready for questions, Pat? Let's do it. All right, there we go. Much more enthusiastic than normal. Maybe I should take Politi's spot. All right, start with the most obvious and the most plentiful topic. Gavin Wimsett from Kyle in Hoboken. How long is Gavin's leash if he absolutely bombs the first half against Northwestern and cannot hit an open target and we are down at the half? Would Greg consider putting in, this is Kyle's words, the better quarterback and Evan Simon into the game. I'm not quite sure, Pat. How long, how long of a leash do you think he has? I think pretty long. Uh, you don't you don't name a starter ahead of training camp to pull him at the half. I think that would be crazy. So I'm going to say pretty long his leash in that scenario that you outlined, tanking against Northwestern. I think uh, they'll just turn to running the ball instead <laughs> if it's that bad. I can't see Evan Simon playing in the first game. I would tend to agree. It would have to be just an absolute complete meltdown of epic proportions, um, which look, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I just think it's highly unlikely. Uh, so I will agree with Pat here relatively long leash here. Uh, and then the other 
Gavin questions are kind of twofold. Uh, Alex and Freehold asks specifically, what has Gavin done between spring and media day to be named the starter? And another uh, texter whose name I did not get asked if Wimsett's progress is real or imagined and how far ahead he is of Evan Simon, which we kind of touched on in that last question. We asked Reggiano about specifics. What did uh, Gavin do better? Um, I don't think he got very specific, but learning the offense uh, under Kirk Sharaka, kind of creating some chemistry with him there uh, and complementing that with uh, his physical tools. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, right, Pat? That's a good summary. That was exactly what Shiano said. And Shiano added to that by saying, well, we won't really know until we step out on the field. So to answer the first part of the question is, when it's progress real or imagined, T- TBD. And there's only one way to find out. And as Shiano said, just the only way to find out is on the field. Again, another texter whose name I did not get. I, I really have to do a better job to catch up to Politi. But uh, they ask, what is your opinion on this year's offensive line? It might be too early to tell before training camp, but it is a topic to keep in mind. This person wants a report of OL improvements that are very detailed. He wants footwork, blocking, strength, speed. Are any of those better? I'm not sure if we are qualified to give those kinds of, of uh, scouting reports, but uh, I guess just what are your thoughts on the offensive We're so line? Qualified. We're the Rutgers insiders, Brian. Come on. I'm not offensive line geared enough to update, but. Yeah, we got to get Todrick on here. I mean, that guy knows everything about offensive line play, being a former offensive lineman himself, I think. But yeah, all right, let's dive into this one. Three starters are back from last year. Let's start there. Holland Pierce is going to move to left tackle. You got Ireland Brown playing his second, third season at center, and Curtis Dunlap playing left guard. Uh, and Dunlap played every game last year. So you got you got a little bit of continuity there which definitely helps you bring in the new offensive line coach, Pat Flaherty, who of course worked with the giants on their two Super Bowl runs and has been in the game for 40 years, coaching offensive line and a bunch of other different things. So you like that experience. Uh, We'll see in training camp. Uh, We'll ask about the specifics when it comes to what's actually better. What are they working on? Things like that. But I did see a statistic that Rutgers from a size perspective, I think was third in the big 10. If you just took the five offensive linemen and their height and weight, they were third overall. I saw that on Twitter. I don't know how accurate it is. We'll have to break that down ourselves as great reporters, but I wanted to put it out here on the pod because I think it is true. And the reason why is because Holland Pierce is six, eight, three thirty. <laughs> He's got to be one of the biggest left tackles there is in the league. Pretty big boy. Uh, and as we know, everything we see on Twitter is true. As first reported here by Pat Lanny on Twitter, uh, Rutgers has a very big <laughs> offensive line, which I think has been really the objective for Greg Schiano since he's come back to kind of beef up and make it a Big Ten ready offensive line. From a size perspective, at least, it seems like they're heading in the right direction there. And to your point, I think the offensive line, TBD, I'm interested to see how much depth they have. I think that's been an issue for some time. Uh, they rolled a lot of the same guys last year, didn't go very deep into a rotation. I'm wondering if they've been able to build that part of the pipeline uh, that Greg Schiano likes to mention. I'm not sure if they've done that yet, but we'll see in training camp. Next question, Joe and Monmouth County, expectations. For the third time, we're going to be talking about expectations this season. But from this perspective is, when you guys were in Indy, were there any journalists or coaches that were really high or really low on Rutgers football compared to your expectations for the season? Personally, I don't think so. The unofficial official poll from Cleveland.com had Rutgers as sixth in the Big Ten East, and I don't think that there were really any strong opinions from anybody else that dissuaded from that. Uh, at Big Ten Media Days, Pat, I think we all kind of, as all as in a Big Ten media contingent, I think that sounds about right for everyone's expectations. 
Yeah, I would just add that uh, unsurprisingly, Rutgers is a little bit of a, you know, there are 100 people there covering Ohio State. There are 75 that people there covering Penn State, you know, the Michigan contingent, Iowa contingent. There's just a ton of reporters covering those teams. And the Rutgers, Maryland's of the world are kind of just not not just there, but they don't have they don't have media swarms like the other teams do. So I think a lot of what happens at Big Ten Media Day is that Rutgers kind of just falls to the bottom of the interest level. And I'll say I'll leave it at that. I would agree. Yeah. And even those other big schools, they have huge media contingents and they have members of other teams medias also joining in on those scrums and wanting to hear what they say. So uh, I, I agree. I think they're I think it's pretty clear that Rutgers is not the big draw in the Big Ten. Uh, and that's an, an example there, there for sure. Um, and to your point, I'm not sure how many people are thinking about expectations for Rutgers football in general. I, I would, I would a lot that. of people do want to know because they listen to Shiano speak at the podium and he's so good. And the way he addresses everything is, is generally like he has a very good vision and he sells the vision very well. A lot of people want to know how far away is Rutgers from being mid-level in the big 10 and competing with, you know, the Minnesotas and Purdue's and those kind of teams. And I, honestly, I think I think this team is going to be a lot closer than they were last year. I think the offense is just going to be so much better. It'll be much worse. I think we can yeah, agree there. It'll be much worse. We know that. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, CJ from Basking Ridge. He's curious about what the rumblings were like at Big Ten Media Day about the accusations that came out in a front office sports report about PJ Fleck in Minnesota football. Uh, for those who haven't read, uh, there was a report from AJ Perez, former Star Ledger reporter, actually. Uh, about the kind of cult at Minnesota football under PJ Fleck and just some, you know, off the wall accusations. No, no, no real hazing things like Northwestern, really. Uh, just some kind of weird stuff like PJ Fleck asking his players to clap for him when he walks into the locker room, and if they didn't clap to his satisfaction, he would walk out and walk back in, uh, which is just you know very PJ Fleck esque. And there were some some serious accusations that P.J. Fleck denied at Big Ten Media Days about exercise as punishment, which is not legal in the Big Ten. They outruled that in the wake of Jordan McNair at Maryland dying a tragic death, I believe, in 2018 um, and other things. But uh, it, Pat, to me, kind of at the moment, it felt like this. And in the day since, it's also felt like this. Just kind of a real nothing burger, really, right? It really uh, – it just felt like the, the timing of everything, the reporting – felt a little flat. The accusations were the, the only accusation you didn't hit on was the drug testing one, which was interesting that I think, correct me if I have it wrong, but players that failed drug tests could cash in a fleck coin in, in their system to get away with failing a drug test. I thought that was, a, that was probably the most serious accusation in my opinion. They could just brush aside serious allegations, a serious offense like that. Guy being worth. a respected player in the program. Right. For what's worth, Fleck denied that and said that the Fleck bank or Fleck coins or whatever was a euphemism for, you know, cashing in your chips or something like that in his first year. Just one of the many, you know, cliches that he has. Uh, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. I wasn't there, but that was PJ Fleck's uh, answer, rebuttal, justification, whatever you want to say, uh, when he was asked about it at Big Ten Media Days. But the rumblings overall was that uh, this was just kind of dropped at the, you know, dropped to make 
put egg on PJ's face and basically try to try to soil whatever's going on there and parlay the momentum of what's actually happening at Northwestern and the real hazing allegations and the serious allegations there. But yeah, the behind the scenes talk tended to agree more with PJ that they were false accusations, baseless accusations. Last question. Uh, and that's This is something that I'm not sure we're really qualified to talk about, but we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, from Paul Jafe in Bend, Oregon. So he has some stake in this. With Colorado officially joining the Big 12 last week, uh, moving from the Pac-12, uh, reading the tea leaves, do you think that the Big 10 is looking to strike again? Does Colorado's move open the door for the Big 10 to take Oregon and Washington? I don't know. That's my answer. I, I don't know. You have any any thoughts, insight on this? I don't have any insight, uh, no reporting on this, but my gut says that Oregon and Washington are two schools that fit the Big Ten mold. They're great athletic schools in a lot of sports. When you talk about Oregon, the first thing you think of is is track, and Hayward Field is a legendary place. You can only imagine the Big Ten championships at Hayward Field. But yeah, they fit the mold, and uh, I know we've talked at times that it's – felt like everything has just been trending towards two conferences now that the big and but the big 12 is trying to make sure that that doesn't happen i'm not sure that adding colorado really changes that but it just seems like the big 10 is very well positioned to become one of those super conferences and the sec is obviously the other and whatever unfolds in the next five ten years is really going to dictate whether these two conferences just run college football in a sense that everything runs through the big 10 and sec and everyone else is kind of an afterthought or and or gobbled up by the conglomerate. So we'll see. Right. Yeah. I think it would make sense to add those two. If you already have USC and UCLA and kind of make a, a big 10 West division. I know we're, they're getting rid of divisions, but it feels like it's just the natural, you know, way of things is that they're going to expand and have to make divisions or else it's too big of a league to kind of, play around Robin. So I wouldn't be surprised. This realignment stuff seems like it takes a lot of twists and turns, but I guess we'll see soon. It seems like the momentum is really moving for something to happen. That's all the questions we got. Thanks again for submitting them. We appreciate it. Pat, is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up this episode? Uh, We talked about the shrimp cocktail. We don't have any great stories from Indianapolis like we did in, in past years. You know, no no Mary, Mary Tyler Moore incidents. Brian was was on his game for the most part. I do want to say this. I thought the three guys that Rutgers brought to Indianapolis really represented the program at an extremely high level. They were all very well-spoken and just great leaders. And it's kind of what you've come to expect from guys that are, you know, Deion Jennings and Johnny Langer back for a sixth year. Uh, so, and, and they both have very unique stories, I thought, which, you know, we told in a little bit of a sense, Deion Jennings. Obviously missed a lot of time with injuries early in his career and then had just a tremendous season last year to become a defensive leader. And Johnny Langan, of course, everyone knows his story of coming as a quarterback, playing quarterback, switching to tight end. And then what we what we found out in media day was that last year he was actually injured in the offseason and couldn't run until halfway through fall camp. So he his tight end, his transition to tight end was a little slower. So he's expecting bigger things this year and bigger things in the offense. We talked about what the addition of Sean Bowman means for him as well. So, and then lastly, you know, I'll never get the image of Aaron Lewis just going through the chop on big 10 network. It's stuck in my head. I think they asked him like three times and he just stared into the camera and gave off the, what chop means. And I forget the exact word, but like trust character chop. Uh, 
it's just one of those things you just never forget. So can't wait to spend some time with Aaron Lewis and Cam for sure. Now that you mentioned that, I'm not sure if he's uh, going to be a TV analyst or a WWE superstar. I'll, uh, ah, that's uh, good. That's good. He, I think he has the personality for both and definitely yeah. has the the body composition to be a WWE superstar. So uh, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I, I have nothing really to add either. We didn't have to wait at Newark Airport for nine hours like we did last year on the way mm-hmm. there. And on the way back, we even got into an earlier flight, which was very convenient. We complain about United and airlines all the time. Uh, United was first class this time. So if they want to give us a sponsorship on the pod, we would also appreciate that. But that's all I got. That's all we got uh, for Pat. This is Brian Fonseca saying goodbye with the rant. We'll talk to you guys soon. Until then, goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.